hit that camera. Go ahead and grab your Bible. I want to thank you for joining us here tonight at uh, Inside Out Service at the River. Uh, if you would grab your Bible, turn to Judges chapter number 16. Tonight we're looking at Samson and Delilah as we've gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Tonight will be no different. Uh, tonight here at Riverside, we choose to believe the Bible because it is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. They report supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. They are divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in sola scriptura, which means the Bible is our highest authority. We also believe in sola fide, which means we believe that faith and faith alone is what, what qualifies us for, for salvation. And that's faith and confidence and trust in something, well, really it's someone, in sola Christos, Christ in Christ alone. We also believe in sola gracia, that we're saved simply by grace and grace alone. It's not what we do, what we, where we go, what we spend our time doing. We're saved simply by grace. Amen. Somebody up in this Baptist church. Amen. And all that culminates in sola deo glory, for God's glory and His glory alone. If you want to know why you exist, those who are outside and those who are inside tonight, the reason you still draw breath. Don't listen to Netflix uh, with the reasons, the 12 reasons to die or all those 12 reasons. Those, those things, those documentaries that glorify suicide. They, they try to romance suicide. And they, that's what our culture does, that we're just biological bags of meat that have no reason to exist. That's what Hollywood is selling to our young people. You have no reason to live. But let me tell you what the Bible says, that we are to enjoy God for eternity, to magnify his name. The reason you are put on this earth to live for his glory. No matter if you grow up to be a plumber, no matter if you're working in an office, it's for his glory. No matter if you're a carpenter, if you're a plumber, you're under a, under a, a counter turning wrenches, it's for his glory. A stay-at-home mom, for his glory. A career woman who becomes a CEO, for his glory. All for his glory. Amen, somebody. So if you would grab your Bible tonight for his glory, as we look at Judges chapter 16... Tonight we'll see a lot of parallelism between this man Samson and Delilah. We've seen the cracks in Samson. He is the mightiest man that we have ever seen in the Bible thus far. As far as coming along being strong physically. But even though you might be strong in one place, you very well will be weak in another. Don't let your neighbor fool you tonight. They look like they might have it all together. Those inside, y'all looking good. And I know there's people outside you're looking fresh and you're looking good. But there are flaws and cracks in everybody. I see through the Bible there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of errors. The errors being the people who make the mistakes. God is perfect in all His ways. And we are weak and feeble and we must depend upon Him. And we see Samson tonight playing with sin. Beginning in, uh, here in Judges chapter 16, let us follow along. If you're following along on your phone, I, I encourage that. But just make sure all your notifications don't draw you away from what we're studying tonight. If you have a good old-fashioned hard copy, that's better because you can write and circle and make notes. Beginning in chapter number 16, we see Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. Well, that's a sudden change, you might say. 
Uh, that, that, that's all of a sudden it seems that, that Samson just falls immoral. He falls immoral, immoralism. He, it's all of a sudden. But no, if you paid attention in the last few chapters, he was walking through vineyards, touching dead animals. He's breaking the vow of the Nazarene that God had with him. At this point, we see that people just don't fall in a day. It's a slow fade. Usually people fall in private long before they fall in public. When you hear of a a scandal of a preacher or a politician, it's not something that's sudden. It happened quite gradually behind the scenes. I've heard a story of a banker who went on vacation and he had been with this bank quite a few years and they noticed while the banker was on vacation that quite a bit of money had been missing. And they waited and they searched. Surely this could not be this banker. He's an upstanding citizen. He's been with us quite a few years. And they noticed that he was not coming back from vacation. The money was missing. And after investigation, they found out that through the years he had been taking the money. And now he had scored big and he was gone. Usually people fade and drift away. And we don't really notice it. The old adage we hear of the the frog in the boiling water doesn't notice is if it ticks up just a little bit. The question I ask to you congregation and you listener, those who are listening by internet, those who are watching by television, those who are listening by radio and those who are in the pews and even outside listening in your cars, are you gradually fading from God, drifting away that you barely even notice it? In this past year of COVID, we've had a year where we shut down all kinds of events. We shut down all kinds of things that causes us to have extracurricular activities. And we've had a plan of time to spend with Jesus and studying our Bible. Can you tell a difference in that year? Are you closer to God than you were a year ago? Or are you finding new things to fill your time? Finding new grapevines and new phone calls and gossip lines? Are you, are you scrounging and looking for new things to fill your day? And that would show you and reflect your heart. Those who are usually furthest from the church usually are furthest from God, let's be honest. They don't want to be near God, much like a robber does not want to be near the police station, or a thief, or a cat burglar does not want to find a foot patrolman. The same reason a sinner does not want to be near God. Those who are near to God are near His people, for the people are near Christ, the Good Shepherd. Amen, somebody. So we see here that Samson finds himself in Gaza. He has no reason to be in Gaza. Gaza is not even the territory of the Israelites. And he goes there with a purpose and he finds a prostitute. Notice we see the word Saul. He saw a prostitute. Remember I told you to take notice of the the words that describe Samson. He laid eyes on different people. He saw the woman earlier whenever he saw his first wife. He saw the, the, the Philistine woman and he thought she was good for him and she was right in his eyes. He saw the prostitute and he went into her. Yes, we can weep here at the moral failure of Samson, but let us not forget our own moral failures. For we've sinned before we throw the stones at Samson. We've got to remember that we're failures too. There's no one here perfect. No one can walk out of here without a mark on them. For sin stains with a dark coal on our souls. And no one is walking through here with bright colors on, unblemished. He saw a prostitute and went into her. 
This is the champion of Israel. This is the judge of Israel. This is the one who's the people's champion. He's the one who's going to deliver them. All the promise that we put on Samson, all the pressure is crashing down on him. Yes, he was mighty and strong. He can kill men with his bare hands, but the women slay him as he's a victim to lust. As we see, he laid eyes and saw and sought. And he had the lust of eyes, the lust of life in his eyes. Sooner or later, it will cost him his eyes. In verse number 2, the Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait to the light of the morning. And then we will kill him. Here Samson's uh, playing, but it's almost like we, we always have that adage. He's riding the fence. That you're riding the fence in your life, but you've got to remember who owns the fence. The devil. That we, we want to walk with Jesus, but dance with the devil. You have to choose today. Like Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. There's not an opportunity where you say, well, I've earned a little bit of sin. Let's be honest. We have that logic. Well, I, I deserve a little bit of sin. I've been good all week. Uh, maybe a little lust, a little bit of gossip. Maybe a little bit of a judgmental attitude because it feels good to sit on my high horse and judge other people. It feels so good up on my throne. Or maybe we just hold back that unforgiveness and pull it out like an old jacket out of the closet and put it on and remember what someone wronged you and it just fits just right and you harbor that anger and resentment just to wear it one more day. Christian, we ought not to be playing with sin. We ought not to dilly-dab and play with the rattlesnake. I saw a video of a man who was one of those uh, uh, snake charmers we see. And he had the, the venomous snake and he'd pop it on the head and move around and play with it. And fully aware of what the snake would do and could do. And, and I didn't see it, but I sure wouldn't even mind to see it that the snake would lash out and latch to the man's hand, letting his venom run through his veins. And I wouldn't shed a tear because he knew what he was doing. But don't we do the same? Don't we play with sin like it's a venomous snake? Oh, I won't be the one that strikes, that gets struck down because of this. I won't, I'll, I'll, I'll beat the statistics. It won't be me. Many of us believe that we're spiritually bulletproof, that we're fireproof, that the devil won't reap us. We keep playing with sin. Learn from Samson here, oh foolish one. Even Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes in the Song of Solomon, he wrote in Proverbs 6 and 7 about the woman who had the dark eyes, who looks through the lattice of her house, seeing the foolish youth who ropes him in and her bed leads to Hades. Oh, we read that and it's so poetic. We read that and say, well, that's, that's a good philosophy, but let it lay on our hearts that we can fall victim to lust, not just lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of life, wanting and being covetous of what other people have. Yes, this thing will preach, but it's hard to live. Amen, preacher. Amen. I'll tell you, amen. I'm not calling you to do something that I'm not battling myself. The pride of life needs to be stomped out in my own life. The, the lust of the flesh, those things that so easily besets us as we read in Second Peter that I fight for my own holiness and I hope you're fighting for yours because it just don't happen. 
It does not just naturally happen for our hearts are prone to wonder. If Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 that our righteousness is as filthy rags, that the goodness that we do is dirty in the eyes of God, then truly we need help. Because in iniquity I was formed. My heart doesn't need to be trained to be evil. It naturally is. So I must lean on Him. Walk a little closer to the shepherd. Not to wander off and not to let everything that glimmers catch my eyes, but keep my eyes on the old rugged cross. Walk closely with Jesus if you are feeble. If you're strong enough to admit you are feeble. Strong enough to admit that you don't have the strength, you don't have the unction and the zeal and the passion, that it comes from Him and you must stay close to the source. Amen, preacher. The Gazites are now going to wait in ambush for Samson. Notice they didn't come to his house. He went to theirs. Uh, Do you know whenever we go out and we look for trouble, we usually find it. Samson goes and looks for trouble because his heart has already been there before his legs or feet carry him there. Our hearts and our intentions will see on Sunday morning where our hearts and our intentions are. Some people lay in their lazy boys because their hearts are lazy. They don't want to gather with the faithful. But I won't preach about them because they're not even here. Amen. Where our hearts are, that's why I call you on Saturday. Prepare your heart to gather with the faithful. To come together. Where your heart is, your hands and feet will follow. Here, Samson has already fallen morally before he even gets there. He set his eyes on Gaza and he goes and finds a prostitute. Now trouble comes his way. If he would have never went into the city, he would have never had these problems. Much like our Deacon Tracy tells us that many of his troubles have been self-inflicted. He can't even blame the devil. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. But I can't blame the devil for some of the things I've been through. It was all me. I don't need help. I could do bad all by myself. Amen, somebody. Here he says, the Philistines, they saw him and they're going to ambush him at night. Let us stay quiet and we'll kill him. Then verse 3, but Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose. And took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of a hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, we read that and say, wow, Samson's pretty strong and he means business. But let's consider that when he pulls up the gates of the city, what he does is takes the city security For at night, the raiders can come in and simply sack the city with no problem because there's no defenses at this point. So he simply pulls up the gates. Yeah, they had it coming. But let us also consider this, that when he dropped the gates at the top of the hill in Hebron, if you measure that with those maps in the back and all that genealogy or archaeology and all those different areas, you will notice that the city of Hebron is 40 miles away from Gaza. It wasn't just a simple stroll. He put the gates on his back, carried them in a miraculous way 40 miles away and dumps them on top of the hill to make a point. That he's strong. 
there's another story in the Bible you might be acquainted with. In fact, we covered it just this past Sunday. There's a story of a mighty one who tore down the gates of hell. Who made a spectacle of hell. For when he laid in a tomb, he was dead for three days. The stone was rolled away. And the separation of the Holy of Holies was ripped off the hinges. Now we have access to the glorious God because of His work and His miraculous power and might. Because of what Jesus has done. Yes, we look at the spectacle and we say, Samson is mighty, but there's one mightier than him. Amen. And He does it on our account. He raises hell, not the kind you think where we go crazy, but raised as in going into sack to take all the bounty, to strip them of their might and power. Jesus does this on our account. Even the Gospels tell us that after three days He rises. He died like a man and rose like a God. And He does this on your account. So we see the similarities of Samson flawed in all his ways and we see Jesus perfect in his as the gates have been ripped off the hinges so that's to let you know here listener tonight whether you're listening by radio television if you're watching on the internet or you're listening by podcast you're here live that the gates are off the hinges and you're free to go You don't have to be bound there anymore that Jesus sets the captive free. You can forgive. You can heal. You can live. You can because of what Jesus has done. Not by what you can do, by what He has done. So let us rest in the arms of grace tonight. The mighty one of Israel, the true judge, our champion of grace. A down-to-earth deity, the God incarnate, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, isn't He wonderful? Shepherd, loyal, faithful. But back to the story of the flawed judge we see in chapter 16 and verse number 4. The story is said in verse number 4, After this He loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Even her name, listen, listen, Delilah. There was a song about Delilah. Eric Clapton sang it a couple of years ago. Even her name sounds delightful. It rolls off your tongue. It almost sounds delightful. Delilah. See, many times the devil, you think, will walk up with a red suit on and a red horns and a pitchfork and a little mustache that's curled on the end and goes, <laughs> and he looks evil. You expect him to be evil. But the devil will be dressed in everything you desire. Covered in lace and lies. Covered and dripping with beautiful perfume. With a finger caught up in your ear, twisted up into your soul, scooping out anything holy in you. The devil will show up looking like a million dollars. If I were to go fishing, 
What kind of bait would I use to catch the kind of fish? I wouldn't use something that's repellent to the fish. I would use whatever I knew would hook them. And Satan has had about 6,000 years to study humanity. And he's seen because Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Men are men. Men are caught in traps and snares. And he's really good at what he does. Oh, and ladies, you're not off the hook either. He's watched women for 6,000 years. And he knows knows how to catch his prey. But here we have Delilah. He loved Delilah according to verse number 4. That was kind of quick. Have you ever met those young people who just, they fall head over heels quite quickly? Well, even though this Samson's a mighty man, and he's probably about 20 years in his judgment in Israel, he's been a judge quite a little while. He, Even though he's matured since we've seen in the last few chapters, he falls head over heels with this woman. He has no discernment. In fact, in Hebrews chapter number 6 and 7, if I would have done like I was supposed to do Sunday, we would have saw how discernment comes from studying God's Word. Samson didn't have much time to spend with God. He's out playing the field, making sure his, his issues and his wants and his desires are covered by his might and his power that God had given him. But we see that Samson loved the woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. This Philistines, we must remember because later in the book of of Samuel, there were five rulers. Maybe at this point, there might have been more. But we know in the book of Samuel, because of the ark that gets captured in the, the battle with Eli and his sons, that they put five mice and five boils or, roll or round rocks full of solid gold on the ark. And, and the, the, the oxen that carried it through the city, they watched. But there possibly could have been more rulers at this point with the Philistines. But we don't see here in verse number 4 and 5 that Delilah was actually a Philistine. We don't know if she was or not. That makes the story almost more treacherous. That she could have been the people of Israel. She could have been. But either way, she entertains the people of the Philistines to find the weakness of this man, Samson. Notice they don't want to kill Samson. They simply want to humble him. Humble him to make him a spectacle. They wanted him to be a trophy. For it's not just the Philistines versus Samson in this story. It's the story of God's man versus Dagon. Their deity and their God. They will use Samson as a trophy saying, look what our God has done. For at this point, Delilah in verse 6 says, Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could seduce, seduce you. Well, obviously seduce and seduce are about the same. She has already seduced him. She has captured his heart. Next, 
The Philistines will capture him. That's why it matters who you let in your bedroom. If you want to get down to the point, you should always have protective sex. And let me explain. Protective sex, sex means you have a wedding ring and you're coveted with the person that you're sleeping with under one man and one woman. Amen, somebody. Uh, we don't believe in traditional marriage here at Riverside. We believe in biblical marriage. I know some of y'all got a little worried there because traditions change. And in about a hundred years, maybe, well, we don't say traditional marriage is between one man and one woman. In a hundred years, it could be between a man, a woman, a woman, a dog, and a building. We could say that's tradition around here now, but we believe biblical marriage between one man and one woman. If you want the right kind of protection, have a wedding ring on. Stay coveted and faithful to that person until one of you die. I know that sounds a little extreme, but that's the way it's designed. Here we see that Samson loved this woman, but he, he, he won't marry to Delilah. In fact, it's possible they simply live together. And one thing I've noticed, it's not just young people who was living together nowadays, y'all. I don't know if anybody noticed, but older people are starting to do it. And they say, well, I don't want my SSI, my Social Security check to get cut off. I don't want to lose my Medicaid and Medicare. I don't want to, I don't want to get the government in my business. And they give all kinds of excuses that it will affect their income or affect uh, their situation. But there ain't no amount of money going to... Extinguish the fires of hell because you sinned against the Holy God. And I know that won't get much applause and people are glad to hear it, but it sure is true. Repent of your sins. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Repent of your sins. Here we see that Delilah has been seduced by the Philistines and now she will seduce him. And she asks, what will seduce you? You might think, well, Dad, that's kind of forward, Delilah, just to go in and ask. But Samson loves her. Samson is enamored with her. She could do no wrong. So she comes in and asks for his weaknesses, even though Samson has matured in the last few chapters. He's still childish in his ways. Of course, it's childish to play with sin. And isn't it true that we're childish and stupid sometimes? Let's be honest. Messing with sin is foolish to the umps degree. It's illogical. It makes no sense. We get fullness found in Christ. But when we play with sins as Christians, we say, well, Jesus is, Jesus is not as good as this sin. This will fulfill me when Jesus won't. This gossip is better than the gospel. This lying is better. I get acclamations and pats on the back. It's better to lie than to tell the truth and believe that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. I'd rather compromise than serve Jesus. Christian, that's really what you're doing when you sin. You're saying this is better than Christ. Puts it in a whole different category now. That we should see sin for what it is. It's exceedingly wicked and vile and disgusting. It's simply a horrible substitute. Truly, let's be honest, how many of us, if we'll be honest, how many of us have sinned away our peace? Let's be honest. Have you been in peace and heavenly bliss walking with the Savior and decided to sin in your crazy mixed up heart 
and send away your peace. Bearing guilt and conviction. It lies to us every time. Delilah lies to us every time. Do this and you'll be fulfilled. Do this and you'll feel much better. What's in it for you? What about you? It's about your time. It's your time now. You've served. You've done this. You've done that. You've gone there. You've worked your finger to the bone for other people and they don't care about you. What if Jesus caved into that kind of thinking? Where would we be? He came to serve to the point of death. Let us be like our Savior. Even John said, I must decrease that He must increase. It's not about what I want and what I desire. It's about Him and Him alone. Sole Deo Gloria. Didn't we just talk about that? That all I do is for His name, for His glory. But Samson, he will begin to play with sin. Verse 7, he said to her, If you bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I will become weak like any other man. He starts to play little games with Delilah. I know she was covered in satin and her voice was sweet, but under those lips was poison. For the intention of her heart was to destroy him. Rest assured, young man, old man, the intention of your Delilah is not just your marriage, not just your health, but your soul. Uh, The intention of sin, young woman, young man, is not just to mess up your life to get you hooked on something, but to reap your soul and you'll be tormented for the rest of your life. You will simply sell out Jesus like Judas did for Delilah selling out her love, supposedly. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And what do we sell our Christ for? Much less than 30 pieces of silver. Many times it's just a rush in our endorphins. Sometimes it's the tingle in our ears of that gossip that tickles our souls and makes us laugh. Many times it's simply a little stool that we stand up on and to make ourselves feel much higher than everybody else around us. What will you sell out Jesus for? Let this ring in your ears and not forget this week or the next week or the next decade if God so long to prolong your life. What will you sell out Jesus for? What can I interest you in? What will you bow the knee and serve other than Jesus? But it doesn't come to us that direct. Now he's been playing in the bedroom. His altar is decimated. His vows before God are out the window. But he doesn't even notice because his fading is gradual. A simple walk through the vineyard touching a dead lying not even doing what God commanded him to do to fight the Philistines head on. He simply neglects what God had called him to do. It's a simple faith. doesn't happen in a day. Now he's found himself in a room with a beautiful woman who wants to know his weakness. And now he plays with her and says, if you simply put bowstrings around me, I'll be weak. Then verse number 8, The Lord of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. 
and she bound him with them. In verse 9, and she had men laying in ambush in the inner chamber. Inner chamber would be her bedroom. It's the most secure room in the home. The very place where he should lay his head and be safe is the very place where his death awaits. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. This time, Samson, he escapes with no troubles. Because the power of God is on him. He's able to snap the bowstrings. The one thing about these bowstrings, you must realize for a natural man, it will be hard to break this because they're good and green. They're not, they're not dry. They're, they'll, they'll, you'll be bound a good while and he simply breaks them as if they've been kissed with fire. In verse 10, Then Delilah said to him, said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound Maybe she did it in a playful way. Maybe she did it in a seducing way. Maybe she did it in a crybaby way. I don't know. Samson, who can lift gates on his shoulders and walk 40 miles, is being broke down by the power of Delilah. No matter how mighty and strong you think yourself to be, there is always a Delilah. Even for you ladies, there's a Delilah. Delilah says, you've mocked me. You told me lies. In verse number 11, he said to her, If you bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall be weak and be like any other man. Delilah's got him now, she thinks. In verse 12, so Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off. Like his, they were nothing more than a thread. Verse 13, And Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. You're a liar! Delilah says to Samson. Isn't that strange how the deceiver is calling him a deceiver? Doesn't the accuser of the brethren usually do that? Accuse you of what they are doing. Delilah says, you, you've mocked me, you've told lies. Tell me how you may be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. You see how it progressed. Did you miss it? See, it was bowstrings, ropes, and now he mentions his hair. His hair really is not the strength that he gets. That's where his strength, his source is not his hair. It's simply a symbol of where he gets his strength. Remember, he's a Nazarite. The hair is a covenant, an outward covenant, a symbol from where his joy and his strength comes from. But now he mentions his hair. Delilah is getting to the root of the problem. Slowly but surely... Notice he has seven locks. I want you to realize and know this. I don't know how, what age uh, Samson is. It says that he judged the, the Israelites for at least 20 years. I, he might be 
30, maybe 40. I'm not, I'm not sure. But at this point, can you imagine never having a haircut? Ooh, I, some of y'all wishing that you had hair that's seven locks. But I, I recently had a haircut and I feel better. I feel like a hobo without one. I, I look like one with the beard, I know. But some of y'all, I wish he cut his beard. That's where I get my strength. No, I'm just kidding. But here we see that Samson had seven locks. That means they were probably like dreadlocks. They were huge wads of hair. And he had never had his hair cut. And he had them in seven different blobs on his head. And now he tells her, as he mentions his hair, if you were to put a, a web and fasten it tight with a pen, then I'll become weak. So can you imagine what Delilah does? In verse 14, so while he slept... Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pen and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen and the loom and the web. Maybe you might think, well, this is some kind of sick game that they got going on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But isn't sin ridiculous? How many times have you heard of someone... They're on drugs? I never would have imagined. Their, their liver is rotting inside their body because they were secretly drinking and their marriage fell apart and beat their children. And I would have never known. Here we see. He escaped this time. But what about the next? Nothing like escaping danger to make us a little more bold in the face of God. Well, I sinned last time and God didn't get me. <laughs> What's well, one more? That whisper in your ear, hey, one more time. You can get away with it just like last time. In verse number 15, and, he, and she said to him, how can you say I love you? Boy, she is manipulating here. For truly she didn't love him and he didn't love her. For truly she lusted after him. I know there's a phrase going around. It was really big a couple of years ago called love wins. The LGBTQ and all the letters of the alphabet, they use that phrase to say love is love. That homosexuality love is love. The same as pedophiliality. That child can be in love with a man and a man in love with a child. Or bestiality. That love is love. Love. You can't help who you love. Think about that kind of love is you use somebody. You just use their body. That's not love. When you love somebody, you sacrifice. You say, it's not what I want. It's not what I desire. It's less of me. You're supposed to love husbands and love your wife like Christ loves the church. That means you're willing to die for her, not to kill her. Ladies, you're supposed to submit and love your husband and honor him like the church does Christ. Not to manipulate him and control him and use him. The phrase love is love has been hijacked by a different community when it's all about lust, illicit sex. Did you know that most homosexual men in their latter years have to wear diapers because their intestines leak because of the sex encounters they had if they lived that long? That doesn't sound very glorious and wonderful, but they don't glamorize that. 
Suicide in those communities is rampant. There's nothing loving about turning your body over to be a plaything to anybody and anything. But when you love someone, you do all you can to protect them, to honor them. Here, Delilah is using love as a manipulation. So many things have been done in the name of love that had nothing to do with love. Delilah pulls that card out quite quickly. She uses that to manipulate him even further. She says that you said, I love you when your heart is not with me. You have mocked me these three times and not told me where your great strength lies. In verse 16, And when she pressed him hardly with her words, day after day after day after day. It don't say it that many times, but that's how you read it. Day after day, and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. <laughs> Didn't y'all read back in the other chapter when he had fought a thousand Philistines and killed them with a donkey bone? He was about to die then. So it's an equal as to fighting hand-to-hand compact with Philistines and almost dying to deliver this woman. She vexed him to death. You can't aggravate somebody to death. We see it right here. She vexed him to death. In verse 17, And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head. For if I I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb, if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak. And be like any other man. This isn't sudden. It should not surprise us. For we see the back story. We see behind the scenes. We should even expect this. Eventually he lays his head in the lap of Delilah. But first he had to go to her house. Before that he had to go into her city. Before that he had to... Think about going to the enemy's territory. How do you end up in Delilah's lap? How do you find yourself there? When you sin, you got to backtrack and think, how did I end up in this predicament? What did I do? Is it my fault? Many times we blame our parents. That's the easy one. It's my mom and daddy's fault. That's the reason I drink. Or it's my wife's fault. That's really why I drink. It's not my fault I I snort cocaine. It's not my fault I look at pornography. It's hers or his. It's not my fault gossip finds its way to me. It's not my fault that I dishonor the Sabbath day and I don't keep it holy. It's not my fault that I'm envious and unforgiving and bitter. It's not. How did you end up in Delilah's lap? Backtrack. Where did you make the mistake? Trusting in her and believing her sweet nothings. Believing that she has her best intentions for you. And all the while while sharpening her razor to take your strength and give your years to the merciless. In verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines saying, Come up again for he has told me all his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands, bought and paid for. 
She made him sleep on her knees. Nothing like sweet harmony and lullabies to fall into the lap of Delilah and fall asleep in security. Doesn't sin tell us that? Lay your head here. My bed is fragrant. My sheets are satin. Oh, it's so soft. She made him, she made him sleep on her knees and caught a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Verse number 19, you think, well, he must have been a heavy sleeper. I don't know if he drugged her or she drugged him. I don't know. At this point, Delilah had him in the widow's trap. And she calls for a barber to shave off the seven locks of his head. But in the next verse, we start to see the realization, and it's too late. For Samson saw that she was beautiful and fell for her. But then we see the mask is torn off. She began to torment him before he even wakes up. And his strength left him. Usually whenever we see the true face of Delilah, it's too late. They've already got us. And she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. It's true of people who wander from God. They don't even notice. That with those who were once on fire for Jesus, they loved Christ with all their heart. And now... They don't even notice that their hearts are cold and indifferent towards God. The Bible sits on their shelf. Things that once warmed their heart, the hymnals that uplifted their souls no longer do that. The, the, the idea of gathering with God's faithful on a Bible study or coming on Sunday morning no longer excites them for they've drifted from their one true love and been lured away by Delilah. The sad part here is Samson didn't even know that God's Spirit left. What if God left you? I can't even hardly say it. You mean there's a chance He could or He would? Well, we've read in Romans that He simply turns them over to their own lusts. Those who are intented on sinning and running from Him in unbelief, He simply leaves them alone, takes His hands off of them. We look at people like Hitler and we think Stalin are horrible people as they caused the Holocaust and communism to kill millions of people. Godlessness. And we think those are monsters. But the intentions of our hearts are worse than Hitler if God would simply take His hands off of us. Take off all the restraints and let us live however we want. We have the potential to make Stalin and Hitler laugh and cry because we are bigger monsters if God were to simply leave us alone. Let our cry be, God, don't let go of me. God, don't let me do what I want to do. Hold on to me, for I'm prone to wonder. Lord, don't reject me and leave me, because I don't want to reject and leave you. The Philistine seized him in verse 21, and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. 
At this point, he loses his eyes. He's still alive. But now he'll be turned over to servitude. He once was a mighty champion of God, but now he has bronze shackles. There's no way if he's just a regular man, he's going to break these shackles. Listen to me, whoever's addicted here and nobody knows it, it's greater than you. It will hold you and it will keep you. And there's no hope for you. You want to grow spiritually blind and you will give your life and your soul to evil taskmasters who will reign over you and it will affect every part of your life. And there's only one hope for you and it's not Samson. It's not the preacher. It's not your deacons. It's not your denomination, political affiliation. Your hope is simply found in Jesus Christ. Throw all your eggs in that one basket. Throw all your hope and all your strength. Lean into Him and trust Him. I just can't break the shackles. I'm addicted. I can't get away. Look to Jesus. Bring Him your shackles. If you can't get to Him, cry out to Him where you are. Jesus, here I am. Help me. Save me. Have me. We see they brought Him to Gaza. And he ground at the mill in the prison. This once mighty man who could go anywhere he wanted to, lifting gates off the hinges, is now simply a slave grinding in the prison. Blind. Delilah's lap always ends up here. A life of servitude, slavery. But verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again. After it had been shaved. I don't know if the Philistines noticed this or not as his hair began to grow again. Maybe they thought, well, he's getting stronger. Well, it's good for us because if he's stronger, he can grind more. Maybe they saw it as prophet. Maybe they didn't really notice. Maybe they didn't care. Maybe they didn't know because Delilah knew and the leaders did. He was simply a slave. But now they're going to have a party. Verse 23, Now the Lord of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon. Their God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson our enemy into our hand. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. For Israel is under our feet and their champion is now in shackles. And the people saw him and they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy to our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that, we may, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. At this point, it was a grand convention. They were celebrating that Dagon, their mighty dung deity. That's what I call them, a dung deity. Uh, you understand what dung is. We're the farmer community on the way here. I smelled it. We know what dung is, and this is their deity, that he can do nothing. He is simply a dung deity. And God will use this instance for His glory. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Samson couldn't see the pillars. And at this point, I don't know how long he had been grinding in the prison at the mill, but it was long enough for his hair to grow. 
And if you've got that much time and you find yourself in a prison, the thing about doing something repetitive over and over, whether it's at a millstone or working or just being a slave in a cage, you find yourself able to think. I'm sure Samson spoke to God as he went around that circle grinding the meal for the enemy. I'm sure he, he cried out to God. They took my eyes, Lord. She took my strength. And here I am in chains of bronze. At this point, we call that self-reflection. But self-reflection will not restore you and help you unless you do the other R word that we don't mean, mostly mention in church because it offends people. Repentance. Where you cry out to God, I, I've, I've messed up God. Wash me with hyssop like David said. Clean me. In iniquity was I born. Have me. Redeem me. Restore me. Pick me up from the miry clay. Wash me by your blood. Seek me at your table as one of your children again. Have me. Lord, have me. Wash me. Lord, will you have me? God will not turn anyone away who prays like that. Let me assure you. He will not turn away His own children who ask for repentance. So now the blind Samson stands in the house of Dagon and they are celebrating. They've hit him with whips. Children are probably hacked at him with swords as the champion of Israel now stands blind in this house. In verse 27, the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof, there was about 3,000 men. That was simply on the roof. I don't even know how many were at the bottom. 3,000 men and women who looked on Samson, entertained. In verse 28, Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh God, oh Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against him, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed, he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those he killed during his life. Did you see the gospel there? You, you, did you see it? No, I didn't see the gospel there at all. I saw a guy getting even with a nation pulling down a wicked temple. I saw a guy getting revenge. Well, let's unpack it real quick before we dismiss We've seen the comparison of Samson and Jesus throughout the story. Jesus was a Nazarite. Samson was a Nazarite. Samson inflicted pain everywhere he went, but Jesus showed mercy and grace everywhere he went. Samson, at this temple of Dagon, Extends his left hand and his right hand between two pillars. Our Jesus extends his left hand and his right hand 
as far as the east is from the west on the cross. And he, he bows and bows down with all his strength. He gives up himself. Samson gives up himself to destroy everyone with vengeance. But Jesus bows and buckles under the cross, under the wrath of God, not for revenge, but for grace and mercy. We see here that Samson killed more people at this moment when the building toppled down on top of him, killing him and all the people around him. But the story of Jesus, as He extends His hands on the cross and pulls down the mighty power of darkness. He saves and heals and restores more people than He ever did when He walked the earth simply as a rabbi. We see here the champion of Samson crushed under the rubble of Dagon. And we see Jesus crushed crushed like an olive under a millstone under the wrath of God. Jesus dies. The story tells us here in verse 31, then his brothers and his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Estal and the tomb of Noah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. In verse 31, we see that Samson's buried in his father's tomb. When Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross, they pulled the nails from his hands and pulled him down off the cross. They had to do it quickly because it was the Sabbath day, a high holy day, and they had to run and do their ceremonies. So they quickly covered him with a cloth, placing him in a tomb. For this champion who, like Samson, extended his hands, one on each side, bearing the weight. Instead of revenge, Jesus showed grace. Samson cried out, Lord, remember they took my eyes. Let me get even with them. Jesus hung on the cross and He said, Lord, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. As he died, they poured him down and put him in a tomb. It says here, he judged Israel 20 years is the story of Samson and that's the end. Samson's not remembered again. He spoke about in other various places of Scripture. But our Jesus... Our Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. This true champion of grace, where Samson failed miserably, Jesus excels exceedingly higher than we can even imagine, better than we could ever do. This Jesus rises again on the third day. All of heaven and earth celebrate, knowing there's a mediator between us and God now. He bore our wrath. You don't understand. I don't think you fully grasp what I'm saying here. I've done a lot of stuff. Bad stuff. Stuff that I'm not proud of. Stuff that I probably would never speak of. 
But Jesus bore my sins. He bore where you couldn't and you wouldn't. If you knew about it, you wouldn't even want to talk to me. But if I knew your dirt, I wouldn't want to talk to you either. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Samson cursed those that he was called to fight against and his enemies, but Jesus blessed his enemies and saves them and redeems them. Do you see the contrast? Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus came to redeem those who were in prison, those who were sold into slavery. Jesus bore our iniquities, iniquities and God crushed Him. He was happy to do it, that He would reap a family like us. And why? Why? Samson, when he pulled down Dagon's temple, when Jesus died on the cross, what's the point of it all? Sole Deo glory for His glory. For His glory. When His enemies burn in hell and His saints are redeemed who are guilty but are forgiven are in heaven, it's all for His glory. Oh, what a wonderful story. Oh, He saves those who do not deserve to be saved. Those who deserve justice, He shows mercy. He redeems and forgives and saves. That's redemptive story. We see it all in Samson. The flaws, the very best and the strongest that men have to offer still fail. We need one greater than Samson. We need somebody smarter than Solomon. We need somebody with more ingenuity than Daniel. We need a greater prophet than Moses. And we have him and his name is Jesus. Put all your hope, put all your strength, all your confidence, not in this church, not in a person who walks this earth, not in your spouse and your friends. Put it all in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you tonight for the story of Christ that we see all in Scripture. We see how Samson was just a shadow of what you are. Like comparing a dead flashlight with dead batteries to the noonday sun. Jesus is greater. Father, I pray tonight that someone's awakened to the gospel and understand that Jesus is better than anything we could have accomplished or what anybody else could do for us. Jesus prayed for his enemies while Samson said, I want revenge. Jesus died to save people. Samson died to kill people. So Father, tonight we trust in Jesus. We trust in what He's done for us. We ask You to hold us close, not to turn us over to our desires. For Lord, we are simply dust. Our hearts are prone to wonder, so hold on greatly to us. Don't let us get distracted Walk with us and talk with us and call us your very own. For we are a wayward people and we're so easily distracted. Jesus, will you have us? Keep us and hold us. That we bring glory to your name for you save such a people like us. In your most precious name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Church, I want to invite you back here Sunday, starting at 10 o'clock. Go ahead and invite somebody with you. Maybe they didn't come with you Easter. Hey, keep on asking them. Get them here. That way they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love you. Starts at 10 o'clock. I'll see you then. Can I tell you something? You sure can, Peter. I'm afraid to pray. Oh, tell me about that. You know... I say sometimes when I go to get on my knees, uh-huh. 
um, the enemy tries to put his name in there. Okay. Would it be all right if I say 